We're going to be in John chapter 3 this morning. John chapter 3. Usually we take a Netflix binge approach to the Bible, by which I mean we uh, read through and study through a whole book of the Bible at a time. And right now we are currently working through uh, 1 Samuel, but we'll be taking a break very soon with that and jumping into Colossians, and that will be on September 15th, which is also our fall kickoff, and there's an invite to that. Um, we will have the third sacrament, which is Nova Coffee and Donuts, here with us, and uh, that'll be good. I'm in, I'm in my, I'm having a good day, and it's not even the caffeine. John chapter 3. Oh, let me help you out there, Dano. He came to Jesus under the cover of darkness. For Nicodemus, a well-respected teacher of Jewish law, a Pharisee, to do anything else was just too much of a risk. Already, this Jesus had caused enough trouble for the elite class of Jewish leadership. This carpenter's son from Nazareth claimed to come from God, and the miracles he performed were unlike anything that had been seen in Israel for generations. So Nicodemus creeps through the streets, fumbling his way through the moonlight to find his way to Jesus, to see the man for himself. And John, one of Jesus' closest friends, records the conversation they're having. Today we get to sit in a conversation Jesus has with somebody else and listen in. We're eavesdropping. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, it begins this way. It says, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious teacher who was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Nicodemus is flabbergasted and offended because there is an offense hidden within this text that for those of us that have been part of a church for a long time, it just walks right over us. Uh, My son, Jack, was born in January. You would know that if you follow me on social media or if you're around me for 30 seconds. Uh, He's great. He's precious. He just had a giant bowel movement in the nursery. (laughs) So some friends came to see him at the hospital. Other friends came to our house to see him. And imagine if Zach had come, seen Jack, held him in his hands the first time, looked at Jack and grimaced and said, I don't know, man, I think he might need to be born again. We all have seen babies And we've remarked on how cute they are to their parents. And then we get in the car and we look at our spouse and go, that's an ugly baby. (laughs) No baby ever born here at Regen. Is that true? We only make cute babies here. Um, Can you imagine looking at this new mom and dad and saying, I've certainly seen cuter. Can you imagine saying, I don't know, I think he might need to be born again. This is important. Because Jesus is telling us something about the human condition, something that John started telling us when he noted that Nicodemus came to him in the darkness. See, that is more than chronological, that is spiritual. 
The darkness outside is reflective of the darkness inside of Nicodemus. Something has gone wrong, is what Jesus is saying. Something is not the way it's supposed to be. The darkness inside Nicodemus is inside all of us, and we cling to brokenness. We cling to compulsions and addictions and self-righteousness. Our hearts chase after all of the wrong things. And in the era of self-help, Jesus says something radical. He says we need more than a good morning routine. We need more than a good therapist. Apologies to those of you in the mental wellness profession, because there's a number of you. There's a lot of mental wellness professionals at our church. What does that say about its pastor? He just realized. Uh, cult. Cult. In the era of self-help, we need more than a good morning routine, more than a good therapist, more than a lot of hustle. We need more than self-love. We need more than self-understanding. I need to know more than my Enneagram type. I need to know more than my Myers-Briggs type. Because to solve the thing deep inside of me that goes bump in the night... To solve the thing that goes on inside of you, that goes bump in the night, we need to go all the way back to the beginning. Jesus says we need to be born again. Nicodemus says, what do you mean? How can an old man go into his mother's womb and be born again? And in verse 5 of chapter 3, it says, Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. You see, the wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you, can't hear, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Well, a few times in this text, Jesus says we've got to be born again. So what does that word mean? What does born again mean? Well, uh, depending on the circle you're in, born again can sometimes be a code for crazy, right? You went to your family reunion this summer and you saw Uncle Bob and Aunt Sue and said, Uncle Bob and Aunt Sue got born again this year. They're a little weird now, right? Born again means like their eyes are big and weird and they're like, do you know Jesus, right? We, we see this radical transformation in people in our lives, our friends, our, our siblings, our sons, our parents. And, and so what we do is we belittle the change by kind of accounting it to this craziness. So they were just born again. But notice, notice that this word, born again, is very vital. Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom of God. No one can enter the kingdom of God. That is, no one can see heaven, no one can enter heaven without being born again. Well, darn tootin', I want to know what born again means if that's what's on the line. It's important to note that there's a problem with that because at the same time Jesus says, you've got to be born again, he also says it's really hard to explain what that is. Thanks, Jesus. Here's this super vital thing that I can't really tell you too much about, Jesus says. But what does it mean to be born again? It's important to note that there's a $20 theological word for this. It'll sound familiar. It's called regeneration. It speaks to that new life. When someone is born of water and the Spirit, happens by faith. Notice that when Jesus talks about being born again, he clues us into really what it means. He calls it being born of water and the Spirit. Now, that's another reference that kind of flies over our heads, but to a guy like Nicodemus, remember, we're listening to this conversation, to a guy like Nicodemus, that is loaded with meaning. Nicodemus has the entire Old Testament memorized. And as soon as 
it's sad, you must be born of water and the Spirit. What pings in, 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 in Nicodemus's mind is a passage from the book of Ezekiel where the Lord says, I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove, you, re- remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You know, I read that passage and I think, man, the Lord is busy in Ezekiel 36. I'll do this, I'll do that, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to... I'm going to wash you with clean water. I'm going to cleanse you from your impurities. I'm going to cleanse you from your idols. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new spirit. I'm going to remove from you your heart of stone. I'm going to put my spirit in you so you can follow my decrees. But this, this, this idea of water and the spirit in Ezekiel points to the coming day, in Ezekiel's time, the day that is now here in Jesus, in which God, by the power of his spirit, would do an inner work in people. See, God's people, in grace, had been given laws and decrees in order to be in covenant relationship with God. But the problem with these external laws was it inflamed our disobedience. I mean, you know, a crazy thing has happened in our house this week. I have started telling my six-and-a-half-month-old the word no. I was not ready for it to happen that quickly. But boy, do we want what we can't have, just like Jack really wants to play with the wipe thing when we're trying to change his diaper. The law did that. It just inflamed desires. It inflamed a desire for what we couldn't have. And so the Lord said, I need to make a new game plan. I need to call a new play. I need to put a new heart and a new spirit in you. That is so radical. Do you see that? Jesus isn't saying, you know, if you're just a little more good, everything will be fine. Jesus is saying there's something so flawed that we need to go back to the beginning. We need to give you a new heart. We need to be born again. So that we can experience the freedom that comes from obedience. So that we can experience the freedom that comes from obedience. Something that Jesus would call life and life abundant. This is what it means to be born again. This is what it means to be born of water and the Spirit. By faith, we are given a new heart, a new set of desires and motives and intentions to please God, to make him first and foremost in our lives, to chase after that which sets us free. That's what it means to be born again. Just stop again and think about how radical Jesus is being right now. Our society's mantra is authenticity, loving yourself, being who you really are, being true to your heart. And Jesus says that's the worst advice anybody can give you because your heart is so broken that it couldn't tell you the truth if it wanted to. Jeremiah says the human heart is deceitful above all things. Who could know it? Jesus says instead of authenticity, instead of being who you really are, instead of being true to your heart, instead of more self-love, more self-esteem, Jesus says our heart at its most fundamental level is untrustworthy and no amount of self-love can lead to the freedom that we are looking for and our, our ability our ability to love ourselves to a better place is limited at best. Instead, Jesus says that we need, we need divine intervention. We need divine intervention. Nicodemus is asking the question, he says, how are these things possible? I don't have all the words on the screen. Jesus says, you are a respected Jewish teacher And you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, but you won't believe our testimony. If you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, 
How could you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Then he says in verse 13, this is important. No one has ever gone to heaven in return. By the way, that's the claim of the Buddha. I fell asleep and had a vision under the Bodhi tree where I went to heaven. I saw these things. I brought them down to teach them to people. He says, no one has gone to heaven and returned. The Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. So Jesus says, this divine intervention, this being born again, is made possible by what only I can do and only by who I am. By what I can do and only by who I am. See, Jesus says that the divine intervention we need is made possible by what he will do. And he borrows, again, from the Old Testament, something that Nicodemus would have known. A story about how in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, in the Old Testament, God's people are being harassed and bitten by snakes. They're dying, and so the Lord tells Moses to craft a bronze serpent, place it in the center of the camp, and when they are bitten, they will be saved, they will be healed. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, you know, our ancestors, when they were in the wilderness and they were bit by a snake and they looked to that pole, I was just trying to train my people to get ready to look at me. I was trying to train us to move our eyes toward Jesus in our need. Jesus says, and by the way, you are being bitten by a serpent, but its fangs, it, it, its fangs are death, its poison is sin, and I am here to crush the head of the snake and promise fulfillment of the promise in Genesis chapter 3. To Nicodemus... Jesus says, what I'm going to do is going to make this intervention possible, and only I can do it because essentially of who I am. Jesus says, I know what I am talking about because I'm an eyewitness to these things. That's what Jesus means by verse 13. No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. Jesus is speaking about his origins. Jesus is speaking about his nature. Listen, say what you want about Jesus. Don't call him a moral teacher because Jesus never claimed to be that. Jesus always claimed to be significantly more than that. So if you want to belittle Jesus to a moral teacher, you're not really talking about Jesus anymore. Jesus always claimed to be more. Jesus is standing on his divine origin here in John chapter 3, and he presents himself as an eyewitness, an eyewitness to the things of God, because he himself is God. Jesus knows more about this situation. He knows of what he speaks because he was there when it all got started. Jesus knows of what he speaks, and here's what Jesus knows. Here's what Jesus knows. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him, a better translation is whoever believes in him, will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. This verse is so well known, you could miss the significance. 90s kids remember this. Um, WWF, right? The, John 3.16, some, I have a Bible degree, two Bible degrees, I'm working on a third. I don't, it's a mystery of the faith, how John 3.16 applies to wrestling. Um, what's that? Oh, was it Austin 3.16? Stone Cold Steve Austin, so there's no connection whatsoever. Well, anyway, John 3.16, 3.16, I, I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, right, yes, yeah. Uh, it's so well known you could miss its significance. It's so well known you could miss its significance. Unless you've been living under a rock, you know this. So let's slow down the action on the play. Let, let's, sports metaphor, be careful. Let's get inside, like, the playback booth. He says, this is how God loved the world. 
Jesus makes a radical claim. God is not mad at you. Jesus makes a radical claim. God's not mad at you. He doesn't have hatred toward the world. He has love for it. God's love, this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son. God's love is tied to action, not intention. That's how our love is expressed, intention. God's love is expressed in action, giving that which was of most value to him. His one and only son is a statement of value and preciousness. So that everyone who believes in him, whoever believes in him, shall not perish but have eternal life. The operative word, the operative word is not eternal life, it is not perish, it is not love, it is not gave. The operative word is everyone. The operative word is whoever. It's up to each one of us to decide what to do with the message of Jesus. Hear me on this. It is up to each one of us to decide what to do with the message of Jesus. You cannot ride on your children's faith. You cannot ride on your parents' faith. You cannot be imputed into what they do. God does not apply heaven points to them because of what you do. It is up to each of us every day to decide what to do with the message of Jesus. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus goes against the grain of our culture yet again, a culture that believes that God is mad at them. And to be frank, many Christians do a really good job of helping people with that assumption. But notice that Jesus says all of this, the new birth, the kingdom, is about God's love, not about God's anger. It's about God taking seriously his own desire that none should perish. It is the love and grace of God made freely available to everyone who responds. Made freely available and then inviting everyone to respond Nicodemus comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness because Nicodemus has become aware of his inner darkness. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and Jesus offers him a choice. And the choice revolves around one word, which is believe. This is a huge, foundation-shaking word, but that the way we use it, it has totally lost its punch. Almost every person that you have met believes in God. They believe in Jesus, but they have very little experience with Jesus. Hear me on this. The New Testament word for belief is not intellectual assent that God is somehow doing some vague things in my life and will be there when I need him. The word believe in the New Testament is a call to an experiential knowing of Jesus. A trust is a better word to be translating it. He's inviting us into trust. And the funny thing about Nicodemus is John, in John chapter 3, the funny thing about him is we never really know what Jesus does. We never really find out how Nicodemus responds. He asks a question in verse 9 and then disappears, and he, he reappears later on in John's gospel, but it's unclear what his interaction with the message of Jesus really is. Today, Jesus is putting before you a choice in the same way he put a choice before Nicodemus. He's putting before you a choice. And and we'll see as these people go forward for baptism the choice they have made. 
But Jesus today is putting before you an invitation to be born again of water and the Spirit. You can, like Jesus, fade away into the dark today, having had your yearly or monthly religious exchange. Or today can be the beginning of something new when you simply say yes to Jesus' invitation to believe. Let's pray. Jesus, you come to us and you tell us things about ourselves that are hard to hear. And yet the reality is that you tell us true things and show us a way. Jesus, I pray for my friends here that we would be interrupted by the love and grace of Jesus. Even as those go forward for baptism, we pray that we would be interrupted by the love and grace of Jesus today. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Amen. As I said at the beginning of our time together, today is a special moment in the life of our community that there are those among us who have made a choice to place their trust and belief and life and hope in Jesus, and those friends of ours are getting baptized, and we'll go outside in a minute. But some of us, having gone public with their faith in the past, are excited to include their children in the covenant promises. And so in a minute, I'm going to invite the bilers up, so if you actually want to go get Zoe, now's a great time, and I will continue to vamp. Jesus' words here in John chapter 3 speak to an inward spiritual reality, but we would be mistaken. We would be mistaken if we didn't see in them a hint and a whisper to something tangible and material. What else can Jesus mean by being born of water and the Spirit than baptism? What else can Jesus mean by being born of water and the Spirit than baptism? Where the Holy Spirit makes the presence of Jesus known in these waters so that we are united to him forever. The people of Jesus are a sacramental people. We believe that in, with, and under our reality is the presence of God at play, and we believe that there are a few places in which the Holy Spirit makes the presence of Jesus especially known in these thin places. Baptism is a sign act of the truths that Jesus speaks of. It points beyond itself. It's an outward sign of an inward grace, but it is more than that. It is is a means by which we experience grace. It is a symbol of what Jesus is doing in our lives, uniting ourselves to him, a participation in his burial and in his resurrection. But it is more than just a symbol. It is more than an ordinance. It is more than a sign. It is also an experience of grace. This is the truth of the matter with baptism. One of the ways that we'll begin today is by baptizing a baby, by baptizing Zoe, who's really not all that much of a baby anymore, because she's getting big, as her grandparents can say. Scripture says that children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Scripture says that children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. And because children are a gift from the Lord, it is his pleasure to include them in his covenant family. The sign of the Old Testament was circumcision. And in the new covenant, in the new covenant, a sign is applied to covenant children to include them in the membership of God's household and the blessing of God. 
which is why Peter, when he is preaching in the book of Acts, says, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord has called to himself. The promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off. And so today, uh, Zach and Jenna Byler will come forward with our daughter, Zoe. Come here. Come here. To present her for baptism. Uh, Baptism is a public event because we believe it really does take a village to raise a child. And our community gathers around you. Hi. To be spiritual mothers and fathers and to support you when you guys are tired and to bear you up. And so I'm going to ask you guys some questions. Then I'm going to ask all of you some questions, okay? So on behalf of the whole church, I ask you, Zach and Jenna, do you renounce the, the force, yeah, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? If so, say, I do. I do. do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? If so, say, I do. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? If so, say, I do. do. Will you nurture this child and these children in Christ's holy church, that by your teaching and example they may be guided to accept God's grace for themselves, to profess their faith openly, and to lead a Christian life? If so, say, I will. Do you, as Christ's body, the church, reaffirm both your rejection of sin and your commitment to Christ? If so, say we do. Will you nurture one another in the Christian faith and life and include these persons now before you in your care? If so, say we will. Eternal Father, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across the dark waters and brought forth light. In the days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water, and and in the flood, you set And after the flood, you set in the clouds a rainbow. When you saw your people as slaves in Egypt, you led them to freedom through the sea. Their children you brought through the Jordan to the land which you promised. In the fullness of time, you sent Jesus, nurtured in the water of a womb. He was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. He called his disciples, therefore, to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection and to make disciples of all nations. Pour out your Holy Spirit to bless this gift of water and those who receive it to incorporate them by the Holy Spirit into God's new creation and into Christ's family. Clothe them in righteousness throughout their lives, that dying and being raised with Christ, they may share in his final victory. Come here to me. Hi. This is Zoe. Her name comes from the Greek New Testament word for life and life abundant. That's where the word Zoe comes from. Zoe. Our sweet thing. I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Zoe, may the Holy Spirit work within you that being born of water and the Spirit, you may be a faithful disciple of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Would you stand with me and with the Bylers? Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for Zoe's life and for all you have planned her life to be. We thank you for her joy and her stubbornness. We thank you for her fierce affection for all new things and for life. We thank you for her parents. We thank you that she uh, is being raised in a family that loves you. 
We give you thanks for every person who pours into our life, and we pray that one day Zoe would come to personally put her faith and trust in Jesus in your timing. We love you, and we love this child. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, We're going to go outside. And so there's, let me give you just a few instructions. There's two doors out there behind, behind young Dan. Dan, just wave your hand real big. Those will open up and you can go outside and kind of go to your right. There's a little bit of a step, so please don't trip. Or you can kind of go out these main doors and around and go out that way. Um, they have party blowers for you, so take that. And we're going to set out some chairs for people that might want to sit. So there'll be a few chairs out there. Let's go outside and we'll reconvene in a second.